The Braves keep rolling, but the Dodgers are looming in L.A. From the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, this is the Braves Report presented by Kroger, the weekly podcast that takes you inside the clubhouse and gives you stories behind the score. I'm Jay Black with our AJC Braves beat reporter Justin Toscano, who is in San Francisco as we record this. By the time you listen to it, he'll be on the way to Denver. But uh, Justin, Braves wrap up their first leg of this three-city West Coast road trip, and despite Sunday's loss, ho-hum, two more series victories this week. Yeah, they're just rolling right now. You mentioned that the Dodgers are next. If you're a Braves fan, you better hope the team isn't thinking like Jay. They've got three in Colorado before that big L.A. series. They're rolling right now. They look good um, in all facets. If you watch the Braves in early August uh, or right after the All-Star break and you were concerned, they've probably put those concerns to bed a little bit over the last couple weeks. This looks like the team we've expected to see. To be fair, I said looming, which is not next. They are looming with the, the, the Rockies in between. Okay, fine, fine, fine. That is this Braves offense going to score 70 runs over three games? <laughs> Stand by. We'll get to that in the up next segment. But coming up first, uh, we'll talk about what happened against the Giants and the Mets, plus how the Braves are embracing load management for their starters and why it's working. Later, we'll preview that big Dodgers series. And finally, we've got the answers to all your questions, or most of them, in the Ask Justin segment. This is your first time listening to the show. Welcome aboard, and please make sure you follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. This is the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, presented by Kroger. And parents, if you need something to do with your kids, then sign them up for Kroger Chef Junior, which is a guided cooking experience on either September 9th or September 23rd at select Kroger locations where your child will learn how to make a pepperoni pizza pasta salad. Each Kroger Chef Junior is a 30-minute class where your kid will get an apron and patch, chef's hat, recipe card and holder, and a cutting board for only 7 bucks per child. So register your time period today at KrogerChefJr.com. That's KrogerChefJr.com, or you can find the link in the show notes as well. All right, so to sum up this week, more dominance against the Mets and two more wins against the Giants. What a tough game on Sunday Night Baseball. we got a rough week ahead of us. So, you know, I didn't really want to beat up any of those other guys chasing a win. And, you know, it's kind of like sometimes you got to do your job. And we didn't get it done today. That's manager Brian Snicker explaining why he left Colin McHugh in the game and how he handled his bullpen on Sunday night. Uh, before we look at the rest of the week, quick thoughts about the uh, series finale against the Giants. Yeah, it was kind of one of those ugly ones that if, you know, for Braves fans watching at home, probably wasn't very much fun. Um, and, you know, if you're a fan, you get in the weeds on things. That's part of it. Um, but the team is 39 games over 500. Things look good. Colin McHugh had pitched well recently. I mean, had given up one earned run over his last 11, you know, and one-third innings before Sunday night. But, you know, going into the game, the Braves knew that they wanted to use McHugh, Tonkin, and Brad Hand in some form or fashion. They've got three games at Coors coming up next, which is about as much of a nightmare for a front office and a coaching staff in terms of managing a pitching staff, managing a bullpen as you can get. Uh, and then they've got a very, very big series in LA. That's going to go a long way in determining home field advantage could go a long way in doing that. Um, after that, they don't have another off day until next Monday. They really, after winning the series, you know, they did win the series. Um, it would have been nice to have swept sure, but 
you know, as a manager, Snit's trying to look long term. He's trying to look at Colorado. He's trying to look in terms of L.A. He can't burn his bullpen. And sometimes that leaves you in a vulnerable spot where, yeah, like in the moment, like even I was like, man, you know, you have Tonkin. Why not just send him out there for the sixth? Obviously, McHugh didn't have it. But, you know, you got to if they wanted to only use those three guys, you got to get through somehow. And you saw the somewhat quick hook on Tonkin, too, who only went an inning and a third. So it's not like he went, you know, three yeah. full. Uh, Brad Hand finished the job after that. But I I mean, I just think that, you know, look, this one was not great. You know, it, it spiraled a little bit there in the fifth and it, it was a winnable game. And on a different day, they would have probably pitched their best guys and tried to chase the win, especially when they were only down a run. I think this was a winnable game. Sometimes you got to take those lumps though in a 162 game season. Think the Giants are a playoff team? No. Actually not, not, not like not. I know teams go through ups and downs. Um, and I think one thing I really respect about the Giants is Farhan Zaidi's really his his ability to find value before others do. Um, and they really run an interesting platoon system where they can kind of sub out five guys at a time if, if they really want to four or five. They play the matchups a lot. I just I don't know, man. I don't think this team's got the juice in the lineup. Uh, they they did early in the season, but in the second half they've had major issues. Uh, I mean, here's here's one of them. I mean, what's today? August twenty seventh. Today was the first time the Giants had at least five hits as runners in scoring position since August seventh against That's the Dodgers. Good. So they're, they're just they're just really struggling, and I don't I don't see it as others are taking off at this time of year. The Giants aren't, and I think you know they've lost two series to the Braves. They lost one of the Phillies. Um, in the last week, they're really taking some shots right now. And I think I just don't think that they have the type of dominant rotation that's going to keep them in there, especially because they still keep doing bullpen games. Seems like with regularity, or at least they did when they played, you know, the Braves last weekend in this one. Um, and I don't I look at that lineup, man, and I, I think there are some nice pieces in there, but I just do not think it's got the horses that you can rely on. Um, through the end of the season, I think Philly's better. Uh, look, I think Arizona's got more firepower, and I think Arizona plays a brand of baseball that is tough for the Giants to hang with. Defensively, I man, I didn't think much of the Giants this way. I know they had that really great double play on Sunday Night Baseball, but you could see it, man. Like The Braves were testing the outfielders. They were running, taking the extra base pretty much every single time, going home every single time. When you have guys like Travis Darno, Matt Olson, and guys like that, kind of taking hard turns at third and going home. Like there were multiple throws from right field uh, in these last two games for the Giants that were cut off by the pitcher, like throws that if Ronald Acuna is <laughs> out there, Michael Harris is out there, like those guys don't even think about going past third. I just think that I, I don't, I just don't think the Giants are good enough. And I know it sounds very harsh. They've, you know, they were very surprising early in the season. And I thought that's who they were. I was like, man, they're going to get the most out of this team. They've got what seems to be a pretty smart front office um, and they, you know, they're trying to build up their farm system and it seems like they're doing a nice job with those things. I just think that in the NL right now, it it really is getting, you know, to be a really hot race and, and there are some hot teams and San Francisco is not one of them. But on the other hand, you could have it a little easier than playing the Braves twice and the Phillies once in 10 days. One uh, one guy who is still hot uh, is Marcelo Zuna. Oh, it's God. That's you know we're talking about that every day now. 
as every night he's just doing something even better. I'm just so happy for him. Um, he looks like the talking about the real Marcel Ozuna is what we're getting right now. Um, you know, the way that ball is really jumping off his bat, too. I mean, just such good decisions, taking his walks, great at bats. Um, so, as I say, I couldn't be happier for a player. Hit another homer on uh, Sunday. That was Snit earlier in the week after an- another night where Ozuna hit another bomb. And, like, what kind of odds could you have gotten in May when we were wondering if Ozuna was even going to be on the team by Memorial Day that he's likely going to hit 30 homers this year? Yeah, I know. I know, long ones, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the Braves have done a lot well since Alex Anthopoulos took over. This is another one of those times where I think their thinking was was actually very sound. I don't know if, you know, some people might say they got lucky, but I think the reasons, you know, they saw it. Look, he was only 32 last offseason, not super old, you know, not old enough to decline um, or traditional decline. Um, he'd hit the ball, ball hard last September. They liked what they saw in spring training toward the end, even though he took a little bit to get going in the spring. The track record, like all of those things. But, you know, I, I think they were very, very good to bet on all of that. There was also this factor. I think they knew all along who was going to take that roster spot. Eli White? Yeah. Nick Solak? Like who, who was going to take that roster spot? Look, Ozuna always had the upside of doing this. Um, and it was really a no-brainer to keep him on the roster. I mean, we always, everybody always talks about, like, man, maybe he's, you know, a couple bad weeks away from getting cut or a bad week away from getting cut. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, they just did not have the other option to replace him, especially as we talked about many times earlier in the season. With a 26-man roster and a DH, you kind of have, like, wasted roster spots, if you can call them that, especially because you, have, you can only have 13 pitchers. So you can't even just like use those extra roster spots on additional pitchers in your bullpen. Um, But yeah, this is pretty remarkable. Ozuna said after today's game, I asked him, you know, do you feel like the Marcel Ozuna of old? Do you feel like you're getting back there? And he goes, yeah, you know, I'm close. I'm not 100%, but, you know, hopefully by the playoffs. And I was like, not, you know, so it can get better than a week where you have five home runs. And he said, God holds the key. You know, if God says you stop. (laughs) You know, you stop, but uh, he, you know, he said maybe, you know, I don't know. Um, but the fact that he's provided the punch he has in this lineup is remarkable because I think when we broke down this group throughout the season and, you know, in the offseason, we saw this as maybe a contingency, like, oh, maybe Marcelo Zuna turns around, maybe this, maybe that. I don't think we considered what the Braves' lineup would be if the regulars produced it the way they have and if Marcelo Zuna turned it around and both have happened and it's really created this hot lava lamp that's scoring like five runs a game. And part of that hot lava lamp has been Michael Harris and he's been part of another lineup adjustment this week, getting moved up into the second hole to take over for Ozzy. Big shoes to fill when you got a guy that's what was second in the league in RBIs when he went down and that's good. You know, it's good to get him up there. We get Ozzy back. We'll probably put him back to familiar surroundings, but uh, he's done a great job. It is kind of interesting that, that Snit said that uh, Harris probably moved back down in the order, but can't really mess up a good thing either way. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, I don't think he's been, Ozzy's been out long enough to justify keeping Harris, you know, in the two hole. I mean, I guess you could, but Ozzy, man, that's a guy who's going to hit 30 home runs and have over 100 RBIs as well if he, if he gets back, you know, when he gets back. So 
I, yeah, I uh, so Michael Harris said something very endearing the other night, uh, Friday night, when he and Spencer Strider once again teamed up on the same day to lead the Braves to victory. He said, the nine hole has my heart. Uh, <laughs> and he he just feels like he can hide down there, man. He, he sees a lot more pitches, he feels like, you know, when he's got guys like Ronald Acuna, you know, a guy like Ronald Acuna next, you know, Matt Olson, Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley. When you got those guys, at the top of the lineup, and then you've got a guy like Eddie Rosario near the bottom, Orlando Arcia, who has struggled, but who you know has shown the ability to hit a ball out. I mean, yeah, you're going to see some more pitches. Michael Harris, it just feels like he's smoking everything. Like I, I one of the funniest moments from this series for me was there was, for those who do not know, Oracle Park, the press box, very low to the ground, best in baseball, probably. Um, very level with the field, as level as I guess you could get without sitting right behind home plate. There was a guy in front of us that was like, you suck, Harry. You know, t- <laughs> typical heckler. Three seconds later, a ball's in McCovey Cove. Like he, I mean, it's been fun to watch, you know, him because as Spencer Strider talked about a couple weeks ago, anybody can have a nice stretch. Michael Harris just keeps doing it. Like he struggled earlier in the season, but his rise has been so fascinating to see because He's really blossomed into this more consistent five-tool player. We saw all five tools last season, and it was a true rookie of the year campaign. It feels like he's better this year because it just feels like he you expect it, where it's like it's not so novel that he's doing these things. You're like, oh, yeah, like that's Michael Harris. Like he can do that sort of thing. And yeah, he and I mean, I'd be willing if you and I. We don't have two hours to do this. If we did, we could sit down and break down the 29 other lineups in baseball. I doubt he hits worse than cleanup in. I think I think he would hit cleanup or better in at least 20 of 30 lineups. It's not really the nine hole for the Braves. It's the guy who hits in front of Ronald Coon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'll take it, especially when especially when they don't want that next guy coming up to even get on base. Forget the home run, because yeah. if he gets on base, he's basically a double. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to get something. I think that's really, I mean, you would love to be a fly on the wall in a pitcher's head facing this lineup because, yeah, like everybody talks about it. I know it's cliche, but it's true. Like as a pitcher, they look to see which part of the lineup they can take a breather, which part of the lineup, okay, like you don't have to have your best stuff. Just make your pitches, throw in the zone. You're going to get these three outs or these two outs. You don't have any of that. Like, this lineup is relentless. Um, By the way, they're back to Snit said earlier today that it's not anything about Sean Murphy struggling since the All-Star break, but they're back to kind of day on, day off for these catchers because they've got two starting catchers. They want to keep them upright. The guy who was not the All-Star catcher this year but was last year he worked a 14-pitch at bat, a 10-pitch at bat, and then a 7-pitch at bat in the same series. That would be Travis Darno. It, it, when you've got that kind of depth and that kind of length in the lineup, things are going well. And oh, by the way, Marcelo Zuna, let, let's not forget, I hope this doesn't age like spoiled milk, as the kids say on social media these days. But the Braves... Probably, I'm thinking Mookie Betts had a heck of a week, right? But I think the Braves should probably have back-to-back NL players of the week. Like, I hope people don't listen to this and that didn't happen. But Eddie Rosario one week, Marcelo Zuna could be this week, you would think, with five home runs and 10 RBIs and some walks and a couple doubles. 
think he would certainly be a candidate. All right, coming up next, we'll explain how the Braves' oldest pitcher gets better with more salt. This is the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, presented by Kroger. What's so great about being a Kroger Boost member? Free delivery on the Kroger products you love and more rewards, too, like double fuel points on everything you buy. Experience a new level of membership starting as low as $59 a year with Boost by Kroger Plus. Learn more at Kroger.com today. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. I know there's, you know, no really better way to start your day than with Braves news in your inbox. And the Atlanta Journal-Constitution can provide that for you with our Braves Report newsletter, which you can only get if you subscribe to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So if you are already a subscriber and you do not have the Braves Report in your inbox, go to AJC.com slash newsletters and sign up there if you're not a subscriber. Go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to get a special deal. Three months of unlimited digital access for 99 cents at a subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. And part of the Braves Report newsletter is the Braves Dispatch, which comes out every Friday. And this past Friday, Justin took a deep dive into Charlie Morton's relationship with Salt. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, credit The credit goes to Sarah Spencer, who covered Tuesday and Wednesday's games for me as I took a little bit of a breather before this three-city, ten-game, no-off-day road trip. Thank you, Sarah. While she was there and Charlie Morton was addressing reporters, one thing he said when asked about kind of the heat, you know, advisory in Atlanta last week, really, I feel like the heat advisory has been all summer, right? I mean, it has not let up. Charlie Morton was asked about that. And he said that, well, you know, it's obviously staying in shape, this, that, and the other thing. But something he said that was really interesting was about a decade ago when he was a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates, he often had cramping after starts and... There was one start, you know, that he experienced cramping. He was kind of on an IV, had an IV after, um, had an IV in, and the doctor comes in. He goes, man, like, I just, you know, asking him, like, what's the deal? Like, how can I, you know, how can I avoid this? And that doctor said, you know what? Like, I, and he had told another Major League Baseball pitcher this, you know, throughout his career. He said to oversalt your food the day before a start. And so that's what Charlie does. Uh, Don't ask me why. Don't ask him why. He even said that. I'm not giving anybody medical advice. Um, And it's it's Jay. We should we should provide the official disclaimer that Charlie Morton is a professional athlete. This is not advice for those listening to this podcast. We do not want any tweets about people who took it a little too hard and wrecked football or wrecked basketball this this fall just because they oversalted their food the night before. So we don't we don't want any injuries to any listeners. But really interesting i think he's done that ever since i don't know the the thing about that but my mother would always say you know to taste the food before salting it which i didn't very much like as a kid i i like (laughs) salt so i if if all if i knew that all i had to do to over salt my food was to make it to the major leagues i i would have done it well and uh, and charlie morton was pretty good on the mound again this week 
I, I mean, I've said this many times. This is amazing what he's doing and with all the innings he's logged, his age, all the seasons, how the ball's still coming out of his hands so good. And, um, you know, testament to a guy that's dedicated and takes care of himself and is professional about how he carries himself and his routine, his work ethic. The whole you gotta have you gotta have all that. You gotta check all those boxes if you're gonna pitch as long as he has. I keep waiting for the news alert that the Braves have picked up that uh, club option again for 2024 for 20 million. Yeah, he doesn't stop. I mean, I know, I know. At some point, a guy declines and he just declines and it's done, like it's over. It, uh, I don't think he's there, man. Like, I think he is in such good shape. And here's the thing is Charlie Morton's adapted three or four times throughout his career. And this is literally the best iteration of him where he spins the ball better than most. He, I mean, throws the fastball up in the zone, pounds people with the curveball down. Like, he can kind of run, you know, the two-seamer, the cutter. Like, what? I mean, I, I, I don't... Yeah, I, I expect that, especially because of how valuable he is in the clubhouse. And think about it this way, too. No matter, you know, what happens with Max Fried's situation, you would think that Atlanta in the coming years is going to have to work in some of these young starting pitchers. You're not going to get everybody in free agency. Um, you wouldn't want to pay for everybody in free agency. You've got guys like A.J. smith Shaver, or maybe in the future, Hurston Waldrop, or, you know, in the future, Owen Murphy, J.R. Ritchie, whoever. Those guys, you know, last couple I mentioned might be a ways off. But in terms of like an A.J. smith Shaver, a Jared Schuster, a Dylan Dodd, Charlie Morton is the perfect guy for those guys. And plus, it's not like you're paying a guy who's going to have a five ERA. Yeah, he, he might have a down year and, and might decline at some point, but he doesn't look like it right now. Jay, if we want to look at this big picture, I think the really just – I mean, mind-blowing aspect of Charlie Morton is that at age 39, he is on a, and he'll take this into Coors Field, which is probably, you know, you could argue the worst place to take it. At age 39, he will take an 18-inning scoreless streak into Coors Field. Spencer Strider, who is 24 years old, so 15 years in difference, had a 20-inning scoreless streak that ended because of a double and two ground balls and the one ground ball, if it would have been to Austin Riley's right, that runner probably gets thrown out at home, and it's a 21-inning scoreless streak. The Braves had two pitchers on a scoreless streak of 18 or more innings at the same time, and that's just mind-blowing to me. We talked about you know how the Braves' main starters, you know the the not the non Yanni Chirinos category, the non Allen Winans category, you know the non Jared Schuster category. Those four guys have been on their game the last month. No no runs given up by Charlie Morton, one by Strider, one by Elder this week, two by Max Freed. And part of that may be with the way the Braves have, have strategically juggled their rotation to try to squeeze in an extra day off here and there, especially in August. And, and Justin had a chance to catch up with Braves pitching coach Rick Kranitz earlier in the week about that. You know, I didn't used to believe in it years ago. Yeah, no, I mean, the guys stayed in the rotation. Um, but I see the value in it, right? Because every every start is not the same. You know, some guys work harder in some starts. Uh, other guys, you know, have an easier time. You know, um, you know, I look at it from the standpoint of how many really tough innings they've had to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it just becomes common sense, right? I think that you look at it and say, and, and it also helps to be up. You know, you know, 
10 games plus in the Division 2. Right. It's where you can pick your spots. You wrote about this the other day, and you can find it in the show notes, but but how effective has this been when the Braves have tried to squeeze in an extra day off for guys here and there? This is something that it's a little, but it goes a long, long way. And what I mean by that is teams used to maybe skip the fist starter or, you know, you, you would have guys, yeah, you'd have guys pitch on short rest if it came down to crunch time sometimes. But now it's like when Alex Anthopoulos was in Toronto, he started building in having, you know, the team build in these spot starts and, and to get guys a little bit of extra rest here and there. So Rick Kranitz or Cranny, as those on the team call him, um, said that there was one time this year when he felt the guy needed extra rest. And so they kind of targeted that and got that guy extra rest. Other times it just works, you know, based on the off days and you can kind of get guys a couple days if you build in a spot start around the off day. It helps because if you think about it, guys are throwing max effort more often than at these days than they ever have. Um, they're not throwing 300 innings anymore, but they are throwing max effort. Fastball velocity is a lot higher. Um, they're throwing their nastiest stuff in any count. Like outings are probably more demanding than they've ever been because guys' stuff is better um, and it takes more to throw it like that. And so it's a long season. And one thing Cranny told me was in 2011, when he was the Brewers pitching coach, they had their starters make basically all the starts. Zach Grinky that year was hurt for five or six of them. Um, so, you know, they used, but basically for the most part, they used five stars and they pitched well, they win the division. And he remembers they didn't pitch so well in the postseason. And he goes, he was, as he's telling me that he goes, was that, you know, was the reason because they were tired? Like, who knows? You, you can't, it's hard to pinpoint that, but extra rest now goes a long way later. Um, and I think the Braves are going to have, you know, Kyle Wright fresh. If he, you know, comes back and is effective, Max Freed has not had the innings on his arm this year. Uh, and they've also been able to buy rest for guys like Charlie Morton and guys like Bryce Elder. Bryce Elder, I asked him about this. He told me that, no, you know, they come to me. He said, I'll, I'll probably never be at a point in my career where, you know, I ask for a day because, you know, my job's to pitch every five days. But I think the team has been very strategic with this. For example, they had Alan Winans start on the Monday game against the Mets. He could have started Wednesday, but Monday bought Bryce Elder and Charlie Morton extra rest. On Wednesday in Colorado, in this upcoming week, they have a TBA. Um, looks like it could be somebody, you know, maybe Michael Soroka, maybe somebody else, but they will have a TBA. By doing that, they get Spencer Strider, you know, some extra rest. And, you know, by virtue, Max Fried some extra rest. They can, they can line up and they can line up their best starters against the Dodgers by putting a spot starter in that series finale in Colorado. So it's just these little things that I think go a long way because they preserve starters. They Not only do they keep them healthy, but it keeps them fresh too because they're going to need them in October. Speaking of Kyle Wright, he finally got back on the mound this week. That was really good. Um, I saw a video of it, just you know, a few pitches. Looked really good. He said he felt great, and um, so it went about as good as I think you could have hoped. How much more time is he going to need before we see him in the majors? Yeah, so, I mean, for comparison, um, Max Freed made four rehab starts. You know, everybody's different. Every injury is different. But both long layoffs, you would think that Kyle would need, you know, three more, you know, maybe four more. But really what you have to think about, too, is there's a clock, you know, just, you know, 
eventually because pitchers can only be on a rehab assignment for the maximum of 30 days. So, I mean, I just, yeah, I just, I would, you know, my best guess is four or five, um, you know, probably leaning toward four just because that's how many Max Fried made that, you know, maybe not a fair comparison because they're different injuries, but it's the only real reference point we have when the team doesn't publicly announce timelines um, for these guys. They obviously have their plans for how many, you know, he would need to make, but they're not going to release that publicly because they'll go outing to outing after that. And if they need to change it, it will change. So Kyle will be back soon enough. But, you know, I know he hoped to be back early September. It's looking more like, you know, the middle of September uh, right now. if Things kind of stay on schedule, but we will see. Um, that will certainly be a boost for the Braves rotation. Jay, I know that was high A hitters, but, you know, 26 pitches, 23 of them were strikes, three one hit innings, uh, four strikeouts. It, that's about as encouraging as you can get from a rehab assignment. What about Dylan Lee? Yeah, so Dylan Lee actually has not pitched in a minor league game, uh, in a rehab game, I should say, since August 20th. That is last Sunday. Um, he threw a live BP on Saturday, though. So as we're talking now, that was yesterday. So Saturday, it went well. He came out of it good. Um, the thing with him is just he had six and a third innings over the first couple weeks of his rehab assignment. The Braves felt they were working him pretty hard. Um, and because of the long layoff, he still has experienced some occasional soreness, which is normal. Like the team doesn't seem overly concerned, but they did give him last week to recover. Uh, so that's why he didn't pitch in a game for Gwinnett. He just threw a live BP Saturday. Um, because the Braves really want to ensure that when he's back, he's going to be able to, you know, pitch multiple innings. He's going to be able to go back to back, maybe three in a row if they ever need it. So they want to make sure he's 100% because he's one of those relievers without, you know, really many innings on his arm this year. Um, though he did have a heavy workload before the injury, before the left shoulder inflammation. So he should be back soon. The date I'm looking for for that is September 1st. I don't know if he'll be back on that day, but that's the day rosters expand to 28 and you can have 14 pitchers. So it'll be an extra pitcher and an extra position player. Dylan Lee would fit that bill because that would allow the Braves to bring him back without making a roster move. And you would think that if they bring other guys back, you know, like Jesse Chavez and Nick Anderson, if those guys are back with them, they're going to need to make roster moves somehow for them. So Dylan Lee is, you know, a free one if they want to make that one on Friday or shortly after, if he's ready shortly after. Um, but that is the day rosters expand. And I would say that sometime around that point, um, he would be back because they he has minor league options. So theoretically, they could option him. But it seems like Dylan Lee's a guy that at, at this point, he's not going to be optioned. They would want him up here. All right. Now time for what's up next. And what's up next is uh, Justin's going to be flying to Denver. As the Braves take on the Rockies, now budgeted 12 seconds for our preview of the Braves-Rockies series. Worst team in the NL, best team in the NL. Yeah, that's that's basically it. Um, do the Rockies have enough warm bodies at this point to <laughs> keep it close? Um, I mean, it's baseball. Look, this Braves team, Jay, they lost two of three to Oakland in, in May, so anything can happen, but I, I think that Man, if you're the Braves and you're looking at this one and you could be the first team to slug 500 ever, you're like, okay, let's let's pad it a little bit here. All right, now to the Dodgers. Braves lost two or three against L.A. in May, but uh, that was May. Atlanta's got a four-game lead now for the top spot in the National League. And home field advantage matters. Like It, it really helped the Braves win the World Series in 2021 because winning the division gave them home field advantage. The Dodgers... 
who won uh, 17 more games than the Braves that year because of the playoff system. They had to play at Truist Park those first two games in the NLCS. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they're it's it's going to be a fun series. The Dodgers have you could you should say, I mean, all four MVP candidates in the NL are going to be on the same field and Ronald Acuna, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson and Mookie Betts. Uh, the Dodgers rotation should be stronger than it was back a couple months ago. The, their offense looks good, man. They just they just get on base. <laughs> Like they have slug, but they get on base. They work you kind of like this Braves lineup. And let's not forget weekend series. It's it's going to be four pretty raucous crowds, I would think, in L.A. with, four, you know, three night games and then one day game. Um, but I think the reason I'm most excited for this is because I want to see the Braves are going to line up, you know, their best four guys. I want to see those best four guys against the Dodgers. This is the measuring stick we have been talking about on this podcast and wherever we talk Braves baseball, write about Braves baseball, this is the measuring stick we've wanted to know about. We don't have any questions about this offense. We think this is a really good rotation. We want to see them against the best in a good environment like Dodger Stadium. This will be the most important litmus test the rest of the way. Yes, the Braves will still have a month of baseball left after it, but this is going to give you a good look at how good this Atlanta rotation is and how fit they are for the postseason. That's what I'm going to be looking for is how do Spencer Strider and how do Max Fried react in that sort of environment against those hitters? More importantly, you know, how's Charlie Morton? How's Bryce Elder? How are those guys going to pitch? Because, you know, we know who Fried and Strider are, so we think anything can happen. But, the you know, how how is Atlanta's pitching staff as a whole going to fare against another elite team and conversely does the Braves offense have such a big advantage over a Dodgers pitching staff that maybe isn't where it has been in previous years so those are a few things I think I'm going to be looking for who's your MVP right now I think you still have to give it to Ronald I think I look at the stolen bases the power and speed combo with you know 28 home runs could get six, 70 stolen bases. I mean, but Mookie's higher in OP, OBP now, or OPS now. Um, Ronald, you know, has had a little bit, I don't know if I call it that bad of a slump. I just mean like he hasn't, you know, risen in those categories. Freddie isn't going away. Um, Olsen's kind of on the come up again. I, right now, until he has a bona fide, like just a large slump, a bona fide large slump, let me give it to Ronald for now. Isn't it crazy that Matt Olson may hit 50 home runs, may drive out 130 guys, and he may end up fourth in the MVP voting? Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it seems like every time I look on Twitter uh, to those who cover, because I know multiple of the Dodgers beat reporters, um, good group there, it seems like they're always tweeting about another Mookie Betts you know, double or another Freddie Freeman, you know, RBI double, whatever. It's like those guys have not stopped, man. And I know like you as much as a fast start matters, and it certainly did for Ronald this year, you see a lot of guys win the MVP because they're just relentless down the stretch. And it seems like, man, I mean, we talk about this Dodgers team a lot and how they decided over the offseason to maybe not do a huge contract to maybe reset the books a little bit like that to work in some young players things that these sustainable winners 
have to do as sustainable winning ball clubs. We thought they would take a step back. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're not going to win 107 games or 108 games or 109 games, but they haven't taken a step back. It was interesting. I was listening to the show, which is a baseball podcast with two of the national guys from the New York Post, John Heyman and Joel Sherman. Andrew Friedman, the Dodgers president of baseball operations, was on that podcast recently and said that in-house, the Dodgers didn't think that they would take a step back. They still thought this was a really good team. Maybe, you know, Andrew Friedman said, hey, if you're comparing it to our 2022 team, nobody's ever going to compare to that team because that team last year was ridiculous. But they didn't think they would take that big of a step back. I thought they would. Like, I was wrong. I thought this was a year that it looked like maybe the Dodgers weren't going to punt but it looked like Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts uh, and guys like Clayton Kershaw and Will Smith were going to have to do a ton to make the Dodgers put them at the level they've been at in the past. And credit to those guys. They have done a ton because the Dodgers are still where they have been every single year. And it's, I mean, they're just a model winner, kind of like the Braves are. All right, now time for the Ask Justin segment where we answer Braves fans' questions wherever you want to ask them at. <laughs> Justin C. Toscano. Apparently not threads because I think that one's kind of died by the way. <laughs> that one uh, that one came and went uh, pretty pretty quickly. One hit wonder there, the old threads. But anyway, uh first question from uh, Shannon Beeson from X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it. Why is Soroka not pitching for Atlanta? Are they purposely trying to get an extra year of service time? Uh, I don't know. That's like even if you ask that question earnest, you would probably never get the real answer i don't think so i mean look like this is a team that i mean i guess they look at different factors but i don't i don't think like they're i'm not honestly like i don't know the specifics of all that language in terms of service time like in terms of that specifically but i mean this is a team that has called guys up left and right and has started the service time clock like i I don't think they're gonna do that they've invested so much in michael soroka and his recovery over the last three years that like I, you know, they would want to reap the rewards of those investments. And I, I think they've probably just, you know, looked at how he was only okay. Like he wasn't great in his times in the majors. Um, and other guys worked better. Like Winans was in front of the line uh, to make a next start. You know, that, that last time around when one came up against the Mets, I was a little surprised that Soroka pitched Friday and didn't make this start uh, for Schuster. That's nothing against Schuster. I just thought, you know, Michael Soroka, maybe he would get another shot. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think it's a service time manipulation thing. I just don't, you know, that like th- this team doesn't, hasn't done that with guys from Acuna to Harris to Strider. Like that's just not the model they've taken. Next up from Colton Smith. Why do you think Snitker never replaces Rosario in left field late in games? Pilar is a much better defender. And we never see him in there. Yeah, yeah, no, fair point. I mean, I think he, like, look, you want Rosario's bat in case a big spot comes up late. Like, I think you definitely want Rosario's bat because he's a guy that really, really focuses in those situations and and tends to to come through or can um, at a higher clip than Kevin Pillar, perhaps. But, yeah, I mean, I do wonder if down the stretch – I guess we are down the stretch, and I said this a couple of weeks ago. I do wonder if down the stretch or in the postseason that happens uh, because defense is so, so, so important. And I, I think the metrics would tell you, or at least the last time I checked, that Rosario hasn't been that bad in left field. But to the eye test, like he he doesn't play as good of defense as Kevin Pillar. Like he has, you know, has some lapses here and there. Um so, yeah, I, I mean, that surprises me a little bit, but I think for now it's about just running that lineup out there and having his bat in there. 
From at Ken Gillingham, is Brian Snitker friendly to the media? He seems annoyed by questions and post-game press availability. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I would, I would say so. Like I've, you know, haven't had an issue covering him. I, I think more so it's, I mean, I try to think about how demanding that job is um, day in, day out from the time he wakes up to the time he goes to bed. It's, you know, he's, he's got stuff on his plate and then you have to answer questions, you know, about a lot of decisions that aren't yours, you know, like a lot of the, the roster stuff like that's, you know, Alex Anthopoulos controls, you know, the roster and things like that. And, and Snit might make the lineup, but I think there's a lot of, you know, things nowadays where managers are almost spokesmen for the team. And I think that would be pretty tough because Snit is, I've always respected how he's such, he's in this game because he loves baseball. Like he doesn't want to be one of those, you know, front office puppets, or he doesn't want to just say the right things for the sake of saying the right things and seeming like this cool guy because he's got the status of that job. Like there are some managers that seem to lean into that. I, I won't name any names, but Snit's not one of them. And I've always respected that. So yeah, even if he seems annoyed, I, th- I think it's just the job is so hard. I, I don't know. Yeah. So it's like, Sometimes, you know, if you ask him a question, he might be a little surly or might seem a little annoyed. I, I, you try to, you know, understand that he's a human being too. And like, you try to understand where he's coming from while still like doing your job. Um, But I don't think he's ever been, you know, I've never seen him as like a bad person or anything. I just think, you know, look, that, that job's stressful, man. And after working for 12 plus hours, I don't know if I would want to answer questions from us either. So I, I try to keep an understanding from that degree. Last question for you to answer on the Ask Justin segment from Darren Stout. Do you pay attention to walk-up songs? Have you heard anything that's caught your ear? Yes. Uh, so I was actually thinking about this earlier. If Jay, can I just do general or just Braves? Uh, it's Darren's question, so he left it right. open-ended. I guess we'll go general. All right. All right. All right, Darren. So, you know what I think is cool is I like the Austin Riley Stone Cold Steve Austin, but he's really improved with, like, that T.I. song this year. Like, that's a really, really good song. Um, and then Henry Davison's Pittsburgh, credit the young guy, man, has Leonard Skinner's Freebird, and it's not even – it's that one guitar solo, you know, like, where it just goes nuts in the middle of the eight-minute song. Like, it's that – it's that – one where it draws off and then it just goes into the guitar part. Um, I'm not a audiophile or whatever you call it. So I wouldn't, I probably didn't, didn't label that correctly, but another guy in the pirates, David Bedner, the closer, I swear to God, Jay, if this place had 30, 40,000 fans, PNC park, it would have been crazy. He walks out to renegade as like, and it's just like, it starts low and then it gets louder and louder and louder. Here's a good one from a few years ago. Gerardo Parra, (laughs) <laughs> former former journeyman, former Nationals great, used to walk up to Baby Shark. Uh, and then, um, and if you want a recent one, Wilmer Flores, uh, who plays for the Giants. So here, um, I did not remember that. He has the Friends theme song. And when it when it, <laughs> when it it gets to kind of the middle, like the fans do like the three claps in the middle. Um, and so I... <laughs> That's all brand like, for San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. I always like seeing what what would you pick for your walk-up song? I I don't have a great answer to that. I can't say the the best executed walk-up song is still Chipper and Crazy Train. 
Yeah, that's that's a good one, man. That's a good one. Uh, I grew up in San Diego, so Hell's Bells. That's Trevor Hoffman good. was yeah. big. Um, or We Will Rock You by Queen. I think I might. I think I might take a flyer on uh, on Holiday by Green Day. I think mm. that might be. I think that might be a good one to try. Chipper's Crazy Train, though, like crazy. Whether it's kickoff, some, Crazy Train always just wants to make you bang your head through a wall. That's a good one. That what a good question. We just yeah. talked for three minutes about music, and that's a good day. And uh, don't forget, anytime you want to be a part of the show, call the AJC Podcast Hotline 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. You can ask us any question you want about baseball, walk-up music, or um, why Arizona State won't be playing in a bowl game this year. Ugh. Am I allowed to opine on that? Am I allowed sure. to take a minute to? <laughs> the floor is I, I was very, I was very frustrated because that could have been executed last year, but it seemed like, and I don't know the ins and outs of the investigation for impermissible recruiting, you know, violations, but the guy who hired Herm Edwards seemed to protect Herm Edwards by not self-imposing this ban last year and instead doing it when positive momentum had been built up for new head coach Kenny Dillingham. Here's the thing that strikes me, Jay, as somebody in the media, somebody who covers sports, this stuck with me. Kenny Dillingham and his players had to answer questions today from reporters about something they had nothing to do with, all while Ray Anderson and Michael Crow, those in the actual leadership positions when this happened, who protected Herm Edwards, who presided over this whole thing, none of them have received consequences. And if that doesn't perfectly describe the lack of leadership there at uh, my alma mater in the athletics department, I don't know what does. Um, but hey, you know, I'm, I'm excited for Arizona State football. The Southern Utah opener is only, what do we got? Four days left, three days left. Yeah. So I'm juiced, but I never remember the college football schedule. As big of a college football fan as I am, until like the middle of October, November, whenever the team I cover stops playing, it's hard to tune in consistently because, well, you know, when, when Miami yeah, and work. Florida, yeah, when Miami and Florida are playing, I'm, I'm in the clubhouse, you know, talking to a reliever or something. So I, you know, I, I just, it has to wait until the baseball season ends, especially this year, man, we might, we might almost darn near be at rivalry week by the time the Braves are ended. Could uh, could be could be a long October um, for a baseball November. reporter, but we'll, uh, we'll deal with that oh, yeah. later. First, we got to deal with winners of the week. So go ahead. Oh, man. Yeah, my winner of the week is uh, – I'm going to do Charlie Morton. I think – I mean, every time – and I'm just – social media is not a good place to take the pulse, but it is the only place you could argue to take the pulse. Um, every time Charlie Morton gives up like three or more runs in a start, it's, oh, he's cooked. Oh, he's done. Oh, he's this. Oh, he's that. Oh, 18 innings scoreless streak at age 39, proving that he can still do it. He's somebody who – yeah, he's had a lot of injuries, but he doesn't really get hurt in the middle of like a season. Like he's not one of those guys who breaks down consistently. He's obviously doing something right. He's done a lot of work with his delivery. Um, and, you know, it just threw one to all of us who like salt on our food. So that's that's winner of the week enough. What about you? I got Austin Riley. Three straight years with 30 homers. First brave to do that in 20 years since Andrew Jones hit four from 2000 to 2003. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Uh, you want to hear something that I, I don't think we mentioned? We mention all these stats in every podcast. Austin Riley is the second Brave to reach the 30-homer mark. Matt Olson has 43 of them. The Braves record for number of players with 30-plus homers in a season is four. The MLB record is five. Eddie Rosario was on that team, the 2019 Twins. Yes, Jay, 
Matt Olson, Austin Riley, they're already in the 30 homer club. Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, and Marcelo Zuna all have 28 home runs. Marcel actually has 29 now. Um, you know, as I as I say this, the Braves could tie that record. And if Eddie Rosario gets hot, they could break that record. But the 2019 Twins won zero games in the postseason. I remember, so when I worked uh, covering the Mets, I was helping our Yankees guy for that series, and the Yankees completely extinguished them. Like, that was... It, you, you would never, I mean, it was such that, yeah, I remember the 2019 Twins offense being a storyline, but I don't remember them being like this world-beating team because they they didn't really like have the pitching, and the Yankees did, and the Yankees, that was a, a good Yankees team, not like uh, today's Yankees, if George Steinbrenner were around, I think they might just like, I think they might have just probably brought in the guys from Scranton, Wilkes Bar, and and played, you know, Played that put them on the twenty six man roster. There, but yeah, I, I, that Twins team, man. I, I think the Braves are going to win more than zero games in the postseason. Just a hunch. I, I think they will too. But we'll deal with that for another day. So uh, that's it. So uh, enjoy your flight to Denver, and we'll talk to you next week from Dodger Stadium. Oh yeah. All right. Well, it's it's going to be a fun week. Let's see. We're uh, I'm I'm excited. Those in an one hundred sixty two game season. I hate to say it, but this is not college football. This is not the NFL. Not every game feels the same. Thursday to Sunday is why you do it, though. Thursday to Sunday, Dodger Stadium, Dodgers, Braves. You could argue the two best teams in baseball, certainly the two best in the NL. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, so we'll have it all for you after next week. All right, and you know your duty until then. Please rate, review, follow, share, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your enemies, and we'll see you next Monday on the Braves Report for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, Look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity, because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.